The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. After the news today, I interview LA Council member Kevin DeLeon, who is also running to be LA's next mayor. So stay tuned. All right, let's cover some news items from over the weekend and this morning. Turkey's currency crisis um, accelerated on Friday as the lira plunged 8%, gripped by fears and inflationary spiral brought on by President Erdogan's unorthodox plan to slash interest rates in the face of soaring prices. The lira hit a new record low of 17.07 to the dollar, triggering direct central bank intervention in the market, its fifth effort this month to address what is called unhealthy prices. The White House says it is prepared for the rising case levels of COVID-19 and confirmed that President Biden will give a speech on Tuesday regarding the virus. Vice President Kamala Harris has conceded that the Biden administration was blind to the emergence of the Delta and Omicron variants of COVID-19 and said she fears misinformation over vaccines will prolong the pandemic well into the third year. The candid admission came in a wide-ranging interview with the Los Angeles Times, which followed reports that the vice president was struggling to make a mark as Joe Biden's number two and was keen for a more prominent role. Biden's handling of the pandemic alongside other woes, such as spiking inflation and the supply chain crisis, has contributed to a steady decline in his popularity ratings. Um, what's the president's response to Andy Slavitt, who of course was a COVID advisor here in the White House just a few months ago, saying that it would be better to, to provide mass um, shipments of the vaccine, hundreds of millions of vaccines to Southern Africa, rather than having travel bans? Well, I would say, one, we are providing, we are far and away the world's largest provider of uh, vaccine doses, vaccine know-how, uh, vaccine support, as I noted, including to Southern Africa of any country in the world. Uh, and the president, uh, on the advice of his health and medical team, put in place these restrictions because he's going to err on the side of protecting the American people. And, and even though uh, our expectation is it will slow, not prevent, uh, the, the movement of this new variant, that will give us time to get more people vaccinated, more people boosted in the United States, uh, and ensure we learn more about this variant. So uh, we're going to uh, do both. You said, you, you said just a few moments ago, there are hundreds of cases in Africa and, and, and only a few or as many, not as many in Europe. Could you talk about the science behind that? Is that what the president's scientists are telling him that because there are hundreds of thousands. cases, thousands of cases in South, I was just reading what you said, but yeah, thousands of cases in Africa and not as many in, in Europe. That's the science behind why a travel ban needs to be in place because I guess I'm just trying to understand why if one person, let's say in Germany or somewhere else gets on a plane and comes to the United States, isn't that person just as likely to, to, to have the, the variant end up in the United States? Could you just talk a little bit more about the science behind the reasoning there? Sure. Well, I think the larger point, Amish, is that 
it is a much larger spread in South Africa uh, than it is at this point in Europe and other countries. We will continue to assess if there are additional restrictions that need to be put in place. But again, this is not about um, punishing anyone. This is about uh, protecting the American people. So when there are thousands of people uh, or hundreds or, or thousands of people who are uh, who have uh, of, who have been tracked for a variant in a particular country, uh, and a much larger number than another country, uh, you know, obviously the health and medical advisors assess that it would be helpful uh, in protecting the American people to restrict travel from those countries where there is wider spread. It's a scientist are saying that. It's, it's fair to say. The, the president made the travel guidance restrictions in place on the pure basis of, uh, of, of recommendation of his health and medical advisors. Stung by recent headline-grabbing smash-and-grab robberies, California Governor Gavin Newsom said Friday he will seek more than $300 million in state funding over three years to boost law enforcement efforts to combat retail theft. Newsom proposed giving $255 million in grants to local law enforcement agencies to put more police at stores to deter organized retail crime over the next three years an additional $30 million over three years in the proposed budget he sends to lawmakers next month would go to county district attorneys to support prosecutions of retail and auto theft related crimes. I don't understand there's this sort of notion that everybody's a victim of circumstance when in fact we need to bolster our efforts to identify these individuals, to hold them to account and prosecute them. Look, if you can't do it, yourselves, the state's going to provide hundreds of millions of dollars, more units and more oversight to drive that accountability. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. So today's Let's Get Blunt is in two parts. The first part is what I find unacceptable. Uh, first, that Bill Cosby got to just uh, walk out of prison because his conviction was overturned. And I understand that there were um, circumstances that had to do with uh, prosecutors and such, but it doesn't change the fact that over 60 women who'd come forward and shared their traumatic story about uh, Bill Cosby, and we know that there are many more who just didn't want to relive it, but 60 plus women came forward and Bill Cosby was convicted, and now they had to witness him just sort of go free. And where's the justice in that? I understand the technicalities, but it's just such a shame. And then now we're hearing that uh, Harvey Weinstein's conviction may be overturned. And and that just reinforces what we've known, what we've talked about, that with money and power and uh, connections and such, uh, you get better attorneys and better attorneys either um, sort of win your case or if they don't win your case, they will get it uh, overturned and such. Finding any type of a loophole, any type of a, a way to... Um, get you preferential treatment, if you will. And so that's just another sort of unfathomable thing that uh, Harvey Weinstein, at this point, I've lost count as to how many women uh, have come forward um, and, and uh, talked about him. And, and we must remember that I think for everyone that does come forward, there are many, many that don't, uh, understandably. And they don't because they've either want to put it behind them, they don't want to relive it, they don't want to be in the spotlight, and that's their choice. 
but there are so many more people victimized than those that are witnesses, than those that come forward, than those that give interviews. And then that brought, brings me to the, uh, the Gislin Maxwell uh, trial. Now, I have a couple of problems with that. One of them is that, you know, I understand that from what we see, she was, and what we're hearing from, from uh, women who were young at the time, that, uh, you know, Gislin Maxwell wasn't some innocent uh, bystander and had nothing to do with uh, Jeffrey Epstein was pulling and all the, the horrendous things. And I get it. But at the same time, I'm thinking, where are all the men? <laughs> You know, the other men, they should be on trial, too. All, all the other men that were uh, in, you know, attending these parties and uh, flying the private jets to the island and, and all of that. So let's let's sort of be thorough with this and not just uh, put uh, Gislin Maxwell on trial. The other thing is, uh, both with her defense, as well as Prince Andrew, which I will get to, um, I hate victim blaming and i and i understand attorneys have to sort of uh, use anything that they can and uh, sort of try to manipulate the jury uh, to say that um, the victim was at fault or they're lying or this and that and it's so horrendous i think every sort of every reasonable person knows what victim blaming is and and what it does, and how ugly it is, and yet, uh, and yet they're doing it. And I can't imagine what goes through the mind of uh, these women who have uh, so far testified or come forward in this case uh, and said what um, what Jeffrey Epstein uh, did to them or with them, uh, and and the other men. I just think it's just disgusting. And now let's go to uh, Prince Andrew. Uh, and whose lawyers are also doing the same thing. And that's just awful. The British royal family has, uh, you know, an army of publicists and lobbyists and all kinds of people who are constantly polishing their image and are doing media placements, especially in the U.S., since Americans are the number one um, tourists for for Britain, and a lot of them go for the the mystery and the mystique of the royal family and such. So their reputation um, matters a lot. It just, it begs the question, you know, why is it that the Buckingham Palace or the Clarence House or Prince William's office, I mean, I don't know how much power he has, but they're not just really doing the right thing to not further victimize these women uh, because it reflects on them, uh, and we should hold them accountable. I mean, with all the photos, with all the evidence that we've seen so far, do we really doubt the role of Prince Andrew and his presence there and all of that? And yet, um, of course, the royal family is mum, and uh, they have their attorneys and their publicists working overtime. I mean, I'm kind of tired of seeing so many, what to me as someone who's been in media for so many years, intentional media placements, these fluff pieces in all kinds of American uh, publications to sort of boost the image of the British royal family constantly. Of course, part of it is 
to combat um, uh, what Harry and Meghan are doing and uh, try to sort of uh, defame them and uh, lift themselves up in the in the process. But either way, I think it's deplorable that they're doing that and uh, Prince Andrew and his team are not doing the right thing, whatever that may be. I just, bottom line is I hate seeing uh, victims victimized even further and victim shaming and that's that's just a terrible thing um so let's just be blunt about it and not be afraid of uh offending whomever is going to be offended by this and just talk about it because it could happen to anyone and uh, victim blaming is uh not okay so there you have it let's get blunt the blunt post with vic Kevin DeLeon has spent his life as an educator, activist, and a community organizer. He was the first Latino leader of the California State Senate in 130 years and represents the 14th District as a Los Angeles City Council member. Tackling the unhoused and affordable housing are his top priorities as he runs for L.A. mayor in 2022 to replace Eric Garcetti. So, Councilmember DeLeon, thank you for uh, speaking with me about um, so much that's happening and you're in the middle of it. Um, you are a council member for the 14th District. Yes. Uh, it's a very large district and very diverse. You've been a state senator prior to that, and now you're running for L.A. mayor, uh, which is one of the largest economies in the world, just L.A. itself. Let me just first ask you, why do you want to do that? Oh, first, Vic, I want to say, but if, you know, but thank, you, you know thank you very much for the invitation. I'm honored to be here. And if, there is, if, if we've learned anything the past year and a half of isolation, turmoil, and uncertainty as we continue to fight the coronavirus, is that we simply cannot go back to the old normal. And all you have to do is look at homeless encampments in almost every neighborhood in Los Angeles. Expend essential workers, treated like expendable workers. Um, the sense of panic and anxiety uh, for rent relief. Uh, the fact that we have so many Angelinos standing in blocks waiting to pick up a box of food just to feed their children. Or another fact that the only thing that's standing between Angelinos keeping a roof over their head and living out on the streets is an eviction moratorium. Mm -hmm. So it's time that we chart a, a new course for our city. Uh, to speak truth to power. Um, I think that we're at an inflection point and who leads the city the next four to eight years uh, will define the future of the city uh, for decades to come. That means the good, the bad, or the ugly. So you need the right leadership during a moment of great crisis, great tumult. Mm -hmm. We've dealt with earth earthquakes. We've dealt with wildfires. We've dealt with um, civil unrest, uh, severe economic recessions but we've never dealt with a global pandemic that has brought us to our knees economically. So, so much unemployment, uh, underemployment, a sense of anxiety. Am I gonna be able to pay the rent, put food on the table, close my back of the children, you know? And that's why we're at a very momentous period uh, in, in global history. You're right, LA is one of the world's greatest cities, but with severe challenges. The largest homeless population, in the United States of America, uh, more than 41,000 in the city of LA. And I have the majority or the plurality of those 41,000. If LA is if LA is the epicenter of a homelessness nationwide, then the district I represent is ground zero. And it leaves us with an, an, a profound, indelible mark of shame. Right. You 
you packed a lot in there, a lot of different things I want to ask you. So I'll start with this one. Uh, you know, it's a it's kind of a two mark question. One of them is with this pandemic still continuing, as we see, and the fallout from it is going to be present for a while, even after the pandemic is under control, um, especially financial um, fallout from that. What do you, the first part of the question is, what do you foresee as some of the, the major occurrences that could happen in the next, let's say, five years that will require uh, great leadership? Now, of course, we can't, uh, we can't predict earthquakes or sure. floods or this and that, but the economy is cyclical. You know, we can sort of look at all the major issues that are happening now and we can predict, or not predict, but at least foresee that if not taken care of the right way, it will lead to something more disastrous. And the second part of it is Americans are kind of tired of politicians that talk about sound bites and rhetoric and such. They want hands-on leadership that really gets it done. Uh, I think a lot of people feel that about you. So considering the first part of what do you foresee as the biggest challenges in the next five years, and how do you see yourself as someone uh, different than your than the other candidates in handling these things that could come up? Well, let me take the, the latter question, and I'll try to answer to the best of my ability. I think that, like I said a few moments ago, we're at an inflection point in, in our city's history. Uh, given the the severe impact of the coronavirus, under, underemployment, unemployment, um, a sense of um, deep uncertainty, deep doubt, anxiety, and panic. So I think Angelinos want real leadership. Um, I've had the honor uh, to be the leader of, of our California State Senate, the first person of color um, in the state's history uh, to lead this uh, August uh, uh, legislative body. And when I was there, I spoke truth to power. You know, I, I fought against Wall Street and I created the first financial product uh, uh, for retirement security, the greatest expansion of retirement security since the creation of Social Security, my program, which is the Cal Savers program. That means all employees who have no access to defined benefit, defined contribution at their place of employment will be automatically enrolled and automatic payroll deduction. I spoke truth to power when I took on the National Rifle Association uh, and I regulated uh, handgun ammunition. And the reason why I regulate handgun ammunition is that when you really think about it, ammunition is the, is the oxygen that fuels the deaths you know, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. And no one regulates. Well, you have to, you know, obviously do a background check in California for a handgun, a long gun, but there's no background checks at all whatsoever for the actual, the fuel, the oxygen, which is the ammunition. You know, I took on, you know, the, the fossil fuel industry, big oil, uh, when they made California the largest state, the largest economy in the world to legally dedicate itself to 100% clean, renewable, zero carbon energy. In effect, decarbonizing our grid, you know, retail sales of electricity, whether it's to investor-owned utilities like a San Diego Gas and Electric, Southern California Edison, or PG&E, or municipally, publicly-owned utility like the nation's largest, LA, DWP, or Sacramento, SMUT. So we're on a pathway to decarbonizing, you know, our electrical grid system. You know, I, I spoke 
truth to power. Uh, again, when I, I took on big oil, when I took on the NRA, when I took on uh, Wall Street, and that's those are driven by my values and who I am and how I grew up as the youngest child of a single immigrant mother with a third grade education. Now, I'm taking on a gargantuan challenge right now, and I'm not waiting to become the mayor. Uh, I'm acting right now, which is the issue of homelessness. It's the greatest humanitarian crisis in our lifetimes. Men, women, single mothers with children living, you know, in the wealthiest city, you know, one of the wealthiest cities in the entire world to be living on our streets That was going to be my next topic. Yeah, well, but I'll hold it right there. No, I'm, no, I appreciate it. It's a good, it's a segue, but... This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with council member Kevin DeLeon, who is also running to be the next mayor of Los Angeles. First, I want to, you know, make it clear that... I think we most of us know that homelessness is not an, just an LA problem. It's not a California problem, and it can't be solved just in LA, just in California. Um, despite that, some people think that uh, any mayor can just turn on a switch yeah. and they're all gone, or or uh, even if there was unlimited amount of money to build, uh, hun- you know, thousands of housing, uh, we will still have homelessness challenge. I should say, not a problem. And I should probably not call it homelessness, but unhoused. So that's my bad. But um, it, it's 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 a very overwhelming issue. Um, how do you think that you would start tackling this? You already are tackling it, and you've done some great things, uh, including the the um, uh, the tiny homes and yes, such. Yeah. But uh, you know, as a mayor, you're sort of going to have a lot more pressure on you to tackle the unhoused, yeah. and what what's your plan? Well, uh, my plan is very simple, and it's very straightforward. It's, it's not complex. The issue of homelessness is profoundly complex, but a solution to homelessness is not, which is housing. You put a roof over someone's head, and that comes in various, various manifestations, whether it's short-term interim housing, like tiny homes, whether it's a program room key, hotels and motels, or transition to permanent housing, whether it's the construction of new apartment buildings, uh, whether it's adaptive reuse, purchasing old buildings, commercial properties, and converting them into housing units, or whether it's taking advantage of tens of thousands of vacancies that we have in LA, in the region, and renting those apartments for unhoused neighbors, so we don't have to deal with capital costs. We don't have to deal with all the construction delays and all the financing, the stacked blended financing that takes years to put a deal together. So we can move with a sense of urgency and immediacy. Listen, the issue of homelessness, we're dealing with profound macroeconomic policy uh, inequities that is built into our economic systems. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with institutional racism that's been with us for decades, if not centuries. We're dealing with severe mental illnesses, whether it's bipolarness or schizophrenia, whether it is innate within our family or whether it is induced by trauma, Mm -hmm. a sexual assault of some sort. Now, unless a pharmaceutical company is gonna come up, you know, with a pill that eliminates uh, uh, schizophrenia overnight, then we know that mental illnesses 
or with us to stay, whether it's through medical treatment, you know, uh, and uh, psychotherapeutic, you know, uh, uh, services. And then the issue of drug addictions, too, yeah. which is very different from crack cocaine or from heroin, because the crystal meth that's on the street today with fentanyl is as is, is potent as any drug that has been sold illicitly on our streets in L.A. and elsewhere. So we have the Drug Enforcement Administration, DEA. You have the FBI. You have alcohol, tobacco, firearms. You have U.S. Marshals, Customs and Border Protection. You have almost every law enforcement agency imaginable with tens of billions of dollars that have already been invested. And cumulatively, they've actually proven to be ineffective in curtailing the illicit flow of drugs into the United States due to our voracious appetite on our side of the border for drugs. Therefore, the point I want to make is drug use and drug addictions will be with us for the foreseeable future. What is within our control is the issue of housing. How can we stop the hemorrhaging immediately and bring folks out of the streets, off the streets, and into housing, and whichever manifestation that housing looks like, whether it's short-term, permanent, we know we have a lack of inventory. So, you know, we have huge, profound, you know, societal issues. And you're absolutely right. This is not one individual's responsibility. It's not a mayor or council member, county board supervisor, state legislative bodies, governor. You know, it is all of ours problem. Mm -hmm. It is the president of the United States. It is the members of Congress and the U.S. Senate. It is every single elected official at every level. Yeah. And we need to move heaven and earth. We need to move with a sense of urgency. Because I tell you one thing, we can do so when, when we build football stadiums. Right. We can do so when we build basketball arenas. We can do so when we build skyscrapers into the clouds. I was going to say when we are when we are when any nation is rapidly trying to build the stadiums, if they're the host of the Olympics, yeah. which we are in 2028, we have the we yeah. have the uh, the venues. We're very well suited to host it, but for that we have some work to do. And yeah, without well, a doubt. So that's why urgency. we need to move heaven and earth because all of a sudden, when it comes to housing for unhoused neighbors the the progress the, the machine of progress grinds to a screeching halt all of a sudden and then as a result you're dealing with unhoused individuals listen you're right as long as we have drug addictions severe mental illnesses inequities that are caked into our economic systems a whole variety of issues we're always going to have a number of unhoused individuals but it doesn't have to be the way it is today. Right. 41,000 in the streets of LA, 60, 66,000 countywide. My district is ground zero. I have more unhoused individuals in my district than any other metropolitan city in America, except for three cities. New York, Los Angeles in the aggregate, mm -hmm. and Chicago. So I have more unhoused individuals than the cities of Houston and Phoenix, the fourth and fifth largest cities in America. So that gives you the scale and the magnitude. So just this year alone in 2021, we've housed more individuals than any place, than anyone just in the city of LA alone. I'm going to take a risk saying this, but it may be possible that we've housed more individuals than any elected official in the country has. Um, and uh, we're, we're going at, at a rapid pace right now. So um, some folks do want to wait for the perfect, which is permanent housing. 
Um, and some of them are my friends, um, activists, but I don't agree at all whatsoever because I think you need both interim and permit. If we can get them off the streets sooner rather than later, a tiny home that has a bed, that has a heater, as well as air conditioning, has a locked door for your own privacy, has windows, you have showers, you have uh, uh, bathrooms, you have uh, uh, washers, and you have dryers, and you can go as you please. That's a lot better than sleeping on a cold slab of cement and yeah. concrete. Sometimes some of our, our friends romanticize, you know, the plight of our unhoused individuals and believe they should stay there until we have the perfect. That's criminal in that sense. And that's why I have to push back on some of my friends as well, too, and say that's not a smart way of thinking. Because unlike very polemic, controversial issues, say immigration, some folks say I'm for immigration reform, which I am, which we all are. Some other folks will say I'm for building the wall. Mm -hmm. Some other folks will say uh, I'm for climate change policies and regulations, reduce our greenhouse gases, CO2 and CO2 carbon dioxide equivalent, NOx, SOx, particular matter, 2.5, ozone. Some other folks will say climate change is a hoax. Right. Some folks will say I believe that we must recognize, as we all do, the genocide against the Armenian people that caused the worldwide diaspora. Others will say that the genocide never took place. So you have very polarizing perspectives. Yeah. But on the issue of homelessness, whether you're on the left or the right or points in between, right. everyone agrees that we must deal with this crisis. They may be driven from different perspectives, right? Right. But they all want the same thing. Right. Get them off the streets, house them sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Well, that was that was a really good explanation. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with council member Kevin DeLeon, who is also running to be the next mayor of Los Angeles. You brought up the Armenian genocide. So I want to ask you, you've been a great uh, friend and a supporter to the Armenian community of a lot of Armenians in your district. Your record is very... Um, outstanding and clear to all of us. I think sometimes we, we want to hear, especially from non-Armenians, what is your perspective as to what happened last year with the attack from uh, Azerbaijan and Turkey on the Armenians of Artsakh? Well, I had the, the honor and the good fortune when I was a leader of our, Cal our California State Senate to I believe at the time to be the first uh, official um, at least in California, the highest ranking official to uh, publicly recognize uh, Artsakh. And um, it was a lot of controversy as a result of my decision. Um, I saw a lot of uh, global press. Um, some of it was positive. A lot of it was also highly negative, driven by certain political uh, interest. Um, uh, I believe that uh, Artsakh and uh, what has happened in the past year with the violent encroachment uh, from the Azerbaijanis is a profound violation of the human civil rights of the Armenian people uh, in Artsakh. Um, uh, obviously, it, it made me very sad that we lost, you know, 5,000 young boys, young men, uh, um, men, um, thousands more who've been maimed. Mm -hmm. uh, we have our POWs uh, right now, prisons of war, 
they're being held captive. Uh, just recently, there was more violent encroachment, you know, uh, 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 in Artsakh, um, clearly and sadly. And I won't, you know, involve myself in the internal politics of, of Armenia, but um, Armenia's um, military uh, prowess uh, uh, was, uh, they were outmatched, you know, uh, because the Turks obviously uh, funded greatly um, uh, the Azerbaijanis as well as other countries. Uh, the Russians played a, an interesting role, yeah. you know, a friend to all, and then you wonder where you know, uh, friend this, to none. Yeah, friend to where do you stand, you know, exactly in terms of facilitating, you know, peace, you know, in the region. Um, so it, it, it left us and a lot of, we have the largest Armenian community uh, in the world outside of uh, Yerevan, you know, in Armenia. And whether you're from Iranian, uh, whether you're from Iran, I should say, um, whether you're from Damascus in Syria, whether you're from Beirut, uh, Lebanon, whether you um, are lived in the former Soviet Union, you know, before Armenia became independent, you know, country that it is, uh, we are home to the largest diaspora globally. And Armenians have played such a huge role um, as entrepreneurs, as academics, as cultural artists, as politicians, as poets, um, as journalists, um, documentarians, you know, um, played a huge role in the vitality of a great city like Los Angeles in our region and a great city like California. So that's why the profound respect and the bond that I have is so sacred with the Armenian community. I, I was proud, you know, when you drive down the famous Hollywood 101 freeway and, you know, you're nearing East Hollywood, you know, uh, you see that sign that says Little Armenia, next oh, yeah. exit, you know, you're going north, south. I was proud to, yeah. to, to put that sign there. and. And obviously recognize Artsakh, and that yeah. reckon, and also recognize and appoint, you know, six you know Armenian Americans to state board commissions when I was the leader of the California State Senate, and and had the honor, the, the profound honor, to have an opportunity to meet uh, the world famous um, musician, you know, Charles Aznavour, you know, and 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 give him a Hollywood star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, you know, in Hollywood. And to have lunch with him and his son, Nicolas, before he passed away was profoundly, profoundly um, uh, a moving experience. And such a humble man, you know, when I met him. And I was in awe and so elegant and yeah. so dignified, you know. And obviously, when he passed and may he rest in peace, uh, the fact that Macron had a, a state funeral for him and all of France, his eyes were in Paris, you know, for a man who deserved it because the contributions he gave, not just to the French people, you know, or to Europeans, but to a global audience was stunning. And let me say, this is funny because when I had lunch with Charles and in San Nicolas, um, and we we're talking, and he says to me that he was in the process of doing a, a duet with another amazing, uh, a Mexican composer and singer, Juan Gabriel. Oh, yeah. And Juan Gabriel had 
uh, passed away, you know, tragically. So, you know, um, he was lamenting how they never got to do their duo never, together. Yeah. And it was sad. And I think they were talking about maybe through a hologram or something that how they could do it together. But he knew Juan Gabriel very well. And these two amazing, you know, global, iconic, you know, stars, you know, uh, to music, you know, coming together, the, the Latino and the Armenian, French Armenian coming together. And who would have known, you know, that our world is, is so much smaller. Yes, absolutely. A lot of common commonality, a more lot. commonality than differences. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with council member Kevin DeLeon, who is also running to be the next mayor of Los Angeles. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you or anything you'd like to add? No, I think that, you know, um, we are at an inflection point. You know, in, in our city's history, uh, we've had earthquakes, we've had wildfires, we've had severe economic recessions, we've had civil unrest, but we've never experienced in our lifetimes a global pandemic that has brought us to our knees economically. Um, uh, my district at one time was ground zero for infections and mortality rates, families living multi-generations under one roof, under very dense conditions. Um, essential workers treated like expendable workers. Frontline workers relegated to the back of the line for life-saving vaccinations. The inequities in terms of how we distributed life-saving vaccinations was very evident too, even during this global pandemic, that you'd think that we'd be much more prepared. So we had to be prepared for the next global pandemic. We have to get vaccinated. And um, I know that when it comes to Moderna, I think, you know, uh, the uh, scientist, you know, who created the vaccination for Moderna, I believe if I'm correct, you know, is Armenian, you know. Indubara, thank you. Yes, yeah. yeah. And um, so it just shows you the world is much more smaller. Um, this is a city that's an amazing city of Persians. And not just Persians in Iran, but, you know, Iranians who may yeah. not be Persians, uh, uh, Armenians, Lebanese, uh, Jewish. Mexican, Koreans, Chinese, African-Americans, Midwesterners and New Yorkers from the East Coast seeking better life, better bagels, better pastrami sandwiches coming out to the West Coast. Pot. Yes, this is who we are, a, an amazing, you know, tapestry, a beautiful mosaic. But we have a lot of work before us. We have a lot. And LGBTQ, which I know you're very supportive Absolutely. of. Absolutely. Uh, you always have been. Obviously, you know, I'm a gay man and... I just want to no, make it really? clear too. I didn't know that. You know, so, so. <laughs> what gave it away? Yeah. Yeah. No, I just want to. I, I think the first time we met, put yeah, it out there true, that yeah. uh, you know we we do appreciate your support uh, as LGBTQ community as well, and we're with you in this Thank you. next. Thank you so much. What next? Uh, Ten months into into the primary and then into yeah. the general after that. But the LGBTQI plus community has been very amazing. I've had the opportunity to work with some amazing folks. I I appointed. Uh, the first gay Latino out to be the chair of the Appropriations Committee nice. of the Senate. That's Ricardo Lara, who's now our oh, insurance nice. commissioner for California. Um, I appointed uh, a gay man to be the chair of the Budget Committee of the Senate, and that's no other than Mark Leno from San Francisco. So the two individuals who are in charge of the purse strings, you know, were two gay men. 
you know, uh, Mark Leno from Very San Francisco cool. and Ricardo Lara, you know, from here, uh, uh, from Los Angeles. And uh, I had the honor um, when I left the California State Senate due to term limits um, that uh, I uh, supported strongly and made sure that my successor uh, would be uh, a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. That's one of our very own Tony Atkins from San Diego, an out lesbian woman who I love dearly, who is my successor, who leads the California Senate today. You know, how so, cool is that? You know, we can't beat that. Yeah, it's about well, taking big bold actions. That's awesome. You know, our ideas and turning them into action. That's awesome, Council Member. Thank you. Merci. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pleasure. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. My pleasure, actually. That was my interview with uh, L.A. Council Member Kevin DeLeon from uh, the 14th District, who is also running to be L.A.'s next mayor. Uh, Council Member DeLeon is truly one of the exceptional elected officials who is, or at least one can say, is an activist and really is out there working for the people. And uh, next year we get to... Um, have him uh, as candidate for LA mayor. Uh, Councilmember DeLeon, thank you very much for the interview and I hope to chat with you again soon. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible. And KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. Tune in next Monday at 6 a.m. for another episode. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami, at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. Post with Vic.